Right. Well, Jean, um, thank you very much for uh, for uh, meeting me over the Zoom. <laughs> Not at all. Which we haven't done, actually. We've never Zoom chatted. No, we haven't. But we have Facebook chatted a lot and we have uh, met in person once. But th let me say, first of all, how uh, uh, just for, I mean, part of my doing this really is because um, I know it sounds a bit ghoulish, but when I was going through my my mum and dad's papers, as, as one does from time to time, I thought to myself, you know, I've got no and I don't have any audio recording of my mum mm -hmm. or dad, actually. Of course, they're both now gone, sadly, but and, and so there's nothing. Um, <clears throat> and, I, and it struck me, gosh, it would be interesting as a kind of time capsule thing for Kira to have in, uh, my daughter to have in later years, um, a recording of some of the people who are very important to me at the moment. Um, so that's where it came from, really. So and that, I think that's very fair, um, because I think trying to remember someone's voice, when I think of, of my dad, for example, um, I don't have any recording of his voice, at least not that I have found yet. Um, and with mom still being alive, there's still, I think, a lot to be found in this house. Um, but yes, trying to recall what his voice was like is kind of difficult as the years go by. And it's something, because I remember saying to my mum, which brings us round to, uh, this is a kind of roundabout way to get to the focus of, of, the, of this chit-chat. Um, I do remember saying to mum some years ago, you know, I said to her things like, wouldn't it be lovely if we recorded your, because uh, she was evacuated to Wales in the war as a child, um, to record some of those stories that she told or... Um, at some of her relatives, her, her brothers were both uh, um, fought in Germany. Um, and one of them actually was uh, 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 part of the early release of Bergen-Belsen. Um, uh, uh, so all sorts of stories that have gone. <laughs> That's true. So what I found just 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 since i'll say it for the tape as it were the reason that you and i have have made an acquaintance is through um the cressy siberia and the cressy family facebook group isn't it that's correct yes so what 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 i'd love you to do if you don't mind is just to perhaps say a little bit about uh you know your own polish roots and uh some of the uh, some of the journeys that you've been on to discover your yours and and uh, Hendrik's Polish roots, because um, that site, those two sites, particularly the Cresty Siberia site, have been uh, breathtakingly helpful to me. Yeah, absolutely. Discovering uh, my birth mother and and her family and their and their journey. Mm -hmm. So um, what, would you like to share anything about your own, uh, your own Polish ancestry and, and yeah. Henrik's? Uh, absolutely. Um, my own ancestry um, really um, has only one tenuous link to the, to the Cressy uh, because my dad was born in the west of Poland. Um, so my grandparents on that side were all in the part of Poland that was uh, occupied by Prussia for many, many years in the partitions. So my grandfather, in fact, both grandparents were, um, when they went to school before the First World War, school lessons were all in German. They weren't allowed to speak Polish in wow. the school. Um, and so my grandfather, my grandmother, I don't know much about because she died during the war before, obviously, before I was born. But my grandfather, who I did get to meet, um, grew up able to read and write German, mm. um, could speak Polish because Polish was always spoken at home. And of course, on the religious side, the, the kind of church um, services and everything were in Polish. Um, but he didn't read or write Polish terribly well. 
Um, so, so that was, uh, he was conscripted into the German army in the First World War. Wow. And something that I found quite by chance last year, ne nearly two years ago, um, my dad at some point in the past must have given to my brother some information that he had written up because in the 70s and 80s, he, he, he seemed to do a lot of writing up of his bits of his history, which I didn't know about at the time, um, and which I've discovered since, bits and pieces. And so my niece handed me this folder that my dad had obviously given to my brother. And in it, he wrote, he described in great detail the village where he was born where his school was located, his ah. journey to the school. Ah. And he also wrote a little bit about my grandparents, where they were born, their families and how they were brought up. So that was like gold dust to me. Wonderful. And, um, and yes, in mm. this he described how his dad had been, my grandfather had been conscripted into the German army and was mm -hmm. fighting on, on the, Western, the Western Front. So, right. Quite interesting because my English grandmother had a brother fighting no way. in France and was killed in France. And you know, I often wonder, maybe at some point they were actually, you know, fighting against each other. It's, it's wow. quite a thought, you know. That is amazing, isn't it? That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> Mind-blowing when you think. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and yes, so my grandfather was, was injured um, in the war. He had a, a, a bullet through the arm, one of his arms. And uh, they were going to amputate it, apparently. And he refused to have it amputated. Um, and so they dressed it as, as best they could, warning him that, it, you know, that the outlook wasn't good and that it, it could possibly kill him ultimately. However, he survived, and when I knew him, um, met him in the, the, the late 60s and 70s, um, this arm always hung by his side, he couldn't use it. Um, so, so yeah, that, that, was, that was detailed in this folder. So, so yeah, so I found bits and pieces. Um, Can I just interrupt for a moment to say, because it's one of those coincidences that we've had in our journey, in our friendship journey together, that I haven't, but I haven't shared this with you. That my my dad's dad, my my adopted dad's dad, um, uh, was uh, also fought in the first war um, uh, on the on the British side, and he also was shot in the arm, um, mm -hmm. as a lot of course young boys were in that in that in that time, and he did have his arm amputated, wow. um, and sadly he died uh, in the early sixties of uh, I think it was a gangrene related illness that related to his to his arm um uh that he never fully recovered from in all those years so maybe grandfather made the right decision well yes so there we are yeah, that's another little spooky link there going going back to your to your original question um my tenuous link because my family were based in the west of poland um was with my great uncle, my grandmother, my Bapcha's brother. Um, and I can't remember when in my life I first became aware of this. I suppose it was something that dad talked about with his family when they met, um, about a, a, my grandmother's brother who was a policeman in Warsaw. Um, I still haven't discovered how he got to Warsaw from near Poznań. I don't know if it was as a result of his job. He was posted there maybe. I know he was married. Um, whether the lady he married came from Warsaw, I, I really don't know. And uh, so he was a policeman there. And I always knew that there was a link with Katyn. My dad was never sure because this uncle had disappeared at the beginning of the war, the Second World War. And the word was in the family that he was a victim of the Catan massacres. But nobody, of course, could prove this. Whether they were surmising because he had disappeared and didn't return that this is what had happened, whether they had some clues, I really don't know. And I've nobody now that I can ask why they thought about this. And it's quite sad, really, because my dad 
obviously thought a lot and again wrote quite a bit about this, which I discovered after he died. Some of it in this folder that I got from my niece last year. Um, and the, the, the supposition was at that time, they, they, they weren't sure. They knew obviously about the, the officers that were found in Captain Forest. Um, they knew about that, um, although it wasn't acknowledged by the Russians at that time that they had committed it, they were still blaming the Germans, but my family knew, they said they knew it was the Russians, that it wasn't German. My dad would say it's all Russian lies, that's <laughs> what he would tell me, uh, or tell us, whoever was listening. And um, sadly, he died in 87, and it wasn't, of course, until the 1990s that... Um, that the rest of it was revealed that you know the policeman had been actually sent to Ostashkov and then they had been taken from there they were killed in the headquarters in Kalinin which is now Tver ah, right. the bodies dumped in Miednoya forest right, right. so like right. my dad had written earlier that they supposed that because so many officers had disappeared um, that there must be another, you know, more mass graves that they hadn't found yet, but they weren't sure, obviously. So that is my kind of, that, that's how I became involved in the Cressy site, because the Cressy site actually, the, the two Cressy sites do um, deal with the, the, the Katyn massacres as well. So did you? Did you? I missed this. Did you have your? Did you? Is, have you had it confirmed that he was that he was uh, executed in Kalinin? Yes, it was. My aunt actually has a list, and he is he is actually in the uh, gosh, I don't know what they're called, the cemetery books for the Katyn massacres because the Katyn massacres cover the three the three main um, massacres, which were the ones in the Katyn forest, the prisoners from Ostashkov. And um, and the other one, whose name? Darabest. So the three of them together are, are known as the under the umbrella of the Katyn massacres. So yes, he is on the Ostashkov list and um, and or the Russian records that were released. So that was the confirmation that um, that he is his his body is in Miednoya. So that was which is Belarus, I think. Now I'm not. Uh, I would swear to it, but I think it's I think it's Belarus now. Um, so it's somewhere that it has been I kind of have as a dream maybe to go at some point because obviously no, no family member has ever been there and again it sounds a bit coolish you know but I just feel that you know he lived a life till he was 36 and and then it was snuffed out and you know and, and no grave no family member has ever been to pay their respects so it's amazing that you kind of think about that. So that was that was my link. But how, how astonishing that you've got that confirmation, because these these lists are so have been so buried and hidden away for so many years. Was it an NKVD list that was released it, by the Russians or something? Uh, well, I, I'm not exactly sure on that, Graham. I wouldn't like to say, but it mm -hmm. is my aunt in Poland had the first time I saw the name, she had a list, it was written in Russian, the names were all the Russian, written in the Cyrillic alphabet, mm. and she had circled the one that was, you know, that was Kazimierz Konieczny, my uncle. Mm. Um, and then later on, with the help of people on the Cressy Siberia site, um, they, I, I was then given, just last year, I think, um, a, a couple of people there translated for me what one of them had found in some Russian records, exactly where I'm not sure, yeah. and they translated it into English, and that gave me a little bit more information uh, about dates and, you know, when he was actually taken to Ostashkov, when he was moved from Ostashkov to Kalinin, the prison, and actually gave me the date on the 5th to the 6th of April when wow. he was shot. So I actually have his date of death now which my dad never ever knew and my well my his cousin my aunt wouldn't have known either she died four years ago so she wouldn't have known that either so it's little bits of information like that that just keep coming and why the Cressy sites are so valuable oh, really goodness yes 
goodness, yeah. yes. And just for in case anybody's listened to this who hasn't any connection with this history, so he was captured as part of the uh, Soviet invasion of, of, of uh, Poland. Uh, yes, again, again, that is a piece of information which I managed to find for myself within the last two years, just hunting around, researching um, on the internet. The, there's apparently a site for the police family in Poland. And it, uh, it seems specifically to deal with um, police officers from the Katowice region. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a wealth of information there. And it would seem, I, again, I'm not absolutely sure because I don't have it in black and, black and white, but putting two and two together from what I'm reading, um, the police were militarized at the beginning, I believe, of 1939. And um, somewhere else I was reading that there were, uh, I don't know what you call them, battalions, platoons, whatever, of policemen were sent from various cities to support the Polish army fighting on the Eastern Front. So I'm assuming, I have no written confirmation of this, but I'm assuming it seems to be the only explanation mm. that he was sent with, you know, the police from Warsaw to back up the army on the, the Eastern Front and was captured and ended in Ostashkov. That's what I'm assuming, but I don't have confirmation of that. It sounds a reasonable supposition. Because the Soviet Union were determined to, um, oh, I suppose the word exterminate, get rid of, would be appropriate. The uh, whole layers of Polish society that might in their, uh, eyes be deemed a threat to their um, communist uh, rule. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it probably it's worth having just a little bit of knowledge about Polish history um, from being a, a, a quite a huge kingdom stretching from the Baltic to the Black Sea at its height from the, from the 11th century up until the end of the 18th century. Um, when it was then partitioned by Austria, Prussia and Russia. And um, by the third partition, nothing of Poland remained. It had been totally divided up between the three and remained so for over 100 years until the First World War. And then at the end of the First World War, when Germany had been defeated and the Russians, I think, were en engulfed in the, the Russian Revolution and the Bolsheviks started to push westwards to further their spread of communism. And uh, the Poles under Pilsudski, I think, saw this as their time to fight back and with the possibility of another independent Poland. And so we had the Bolshevik War um, uh, in between Poland and, and, and the Bolsheviks, which I think ended in Poland's independence in 1920, 1921. And this is where Henrik, my husband, his family uh, history kind of falls into that because mm -hmm. his maternal grandfather fought with Pilsudski's legions. Wow. And as a reward for fighting, the, the Poles obviously uh, won that battle and um, oh, and along with lots of other things happening in the West and the Southwest, Poland did get its own independence back and came back onto the map. But the, the men who had fought with Pilsudski's legions were then as a reward or payment were given land in the Eastern borderlands, which is what the Cressy refers to. Cressy means borderlands specifically in the East. So they were given land there and Henrik's maternal grandfather got a plot of land um, near Grodno. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and married someone from that area of Polish origin, but from, you know, because that area, as you probably know, um, Lithuania, Latvia was very much mixed 
ethnicities there. So he married a woman of ethnic, uh, ethnically Polish origin. And, um, and Henrik's mom was born the middle child of three children. Um, his dad, uh, his paternal grandfather, on the other hand, which is quite interesting, um, he didn't get land as a reward. He actually bought land uh, in, in the Cressy, in the borderlands, um, in what is now Ukraine, not far from Kshemyenets, um, because land apparently was being sold cheaply. And so he was from Biech in the south, not far from Krakow, and bought land in the east and moved there, married, and, and, his, uh, and Henrik's dad was the oldest of the children born into that family. And what a decision that was, you know, when you think back with hindsight, mm. that decision to buy that land ended up in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an amazing, fascinating, painful story of deportation oh, yeah. and a family ripped, literally ripped apart. So Henrik's mother was born also in the Grodno region, was she? Grodno. Yeah, she was born in, it was a I think it was um, an Osada Reduta, which is near Yejoro, which was in the Grodno area. Because my birth mother was born not too far from there in uh, Bianyakoni, which is, I think, nearer to Lida than. That's right. Than Grodno. So, so were your was Henrik's um, family uh, deported then, or? relatives? Of so yes, they were both. Both families were deported. One from what is now Belarus and one from what is now Ukraine. They were deported on the same night, the 10th to the 11th of February. Um, his dad never really spoke much. In fact, I never heard his dad speaking about it at all. His mom would speak quite a lot about it. And oh, how I wish now I had recorded. I mean, really my biggest regret now is that I didn't record what she said. Mm. We're at the stage now where we kind of try to remember and then ask each other, can you remember, you know, what was that detail? What was this? Mm. And probably have lost. Mm. Yeah, his mum, what I remember, she she told us about the the knock on the door. They were they were asleep and it was winter. And sometimes um in the winter, she said the the that because the stove in the house was warm, they would put the the, they would sleep on the stove, so it was it wow. would keep them warm. And there was a knock on the door, and there were Russian voices shouting. And she said, it's, "It's straight." This is her seeing it as a child. She was born in 1927 in June, and this was February 1940. So she was 12. So she's seeing it as a 12-year-old. She said they were. They were very nice Russians because they gave them half an hour to collect their stuff. <laughs> now that maybe implied that she'd heard from other people that they didn't have that much time or that, and they helped them to pack, she said. So whether she'd heard from other people that things had been worse for others, I don't know, but I remember that was a strange thing that she said. She said she can remember, obviously it was cold, it was snowy. She said they had birds, they weren't chickens. They were birds which had like speckles on them. She didn't know what they were called in English. Um, and I don't remember the Polish word that she said for them, but she said she remembers as they left, these birds were making a really, really loud noise because mm. they'd been disturbed. So that was her recollection of leaving this house that her father had built. Um, she described a life before the war. Um, there were three children, an older brother and a younger sister. She was the middle child. Um, she told that her dad had an orchard, that he had people who worked for him um, to help to run the land that he had. Um, she said he was always very fair and very kind to them. This is, this is, remember, this is a child, speak, you know, her re recollection is a child. Um, 
they would play in this orchard and this orchard apparently led down to a river because they would run down to the river and play in the river. I have no idea which river it is or whether it was a stream or, or but this is how she described it. Um, that our brother was very mischievous and was always getting into trouble. So she described just what seemed to be this idyllic childhood um, mm. until her, her own mother died when she was about five or six. Um, which kind of then things changed a little bit. She would then describe how her, how her father um, remarried because he had obviously three young children. So he married, I think, within a year or two years of, of her mother dying. And sadly, the, the stepmother didn't really like them. This is, again, she's speaking as a child, of, you know, even younger, five, six-year-old, seven-year-old. Um, and they didn't like her, and that led to another really fascinating stories when they were de deported. I don't know how much of it you want to... Well, no, continue the story on. So they would have been deported because they were land, they owned a bit of land and... and well, I think, yeah, yeah to, go, to, go, to go back to that, to connect it to the, the, the Bolshevik war, which I probably didn't do terribly well, um, the feeling seems to be that when the Russians invaded in 1939, I mean, the, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact with the secret, um, you know, the, the, the secret clause that they were going to wipe Poland off the map for good and they were going to rid, between them, rid themselves of anything Polish, culture, language, so that nothing would remain, I believe, was the, the intended outcome. Um, and... From, all, uh, from what I read, the Russians, when they invaded uh, on the 17th of September, 1939, they had lists of mm. who was to be arrested. Um, grandfather, Henrik's maternal grandfather, who'd been in Pilsudski's army, was on the list, presumably because he had fought mm. uh, against the, the Bolsheviks in the, you know, 20 years earlier. Um, so he was definitely on the list. Again, we're not sure he was arrested. We, Henrik is fairly sure that he was arrested um, at some point between the invasion and the deportations. But he, he was in the same place when they were deported because Henrik's mom talked about her dad in, in the same place near Perm. What we're not sure of is whether he was arrested and then came back home to the family and they were all deported together, or whether he was in prison somewhere and joined them later. Where That we're not sure about, we don't know. Um, so they, guess, you know where they were deported uh, to? They were deported to Nikolinskaya Baza, which is near Perm. Um, That's Siberia or Kazakhstan? Siberia, I think it's near the Urals. Okay. Near the Ural Mountains. It wasn't to the north where really the worst, I think, conditions, if, if you can compare terrible conditions, mm -hmm. I, th I believe the worst were in the north. Obviously, it was colder. Um, and, uh, and some went farther, further east. Mm. So... If and the number is disputed, isn't it? The number is not is not clear for obvious reasons because no one was doing a very really beautifully well kept headcount. But is it is am I right in thinking it was something like three hundred thousand people were uh, deported? Uh, yeah, yes, like you say, the numbers are, the, there was slightly more than that. I think the uh, you know the numbers are disputed. Um, but I think in total, including including men who were arrested, soldiers trying to escape, airmen trying to escape via Hungary, Romania, um, the officers who were captured, sent to Katyn. I think altogether, they're probably thinking around a million, just short of a million is probably a reasonable number. Now, there are other numbers which rate at much higher than that, the total deportation yeah. being 1.7 million is a number bandied I've around. I've seen that somewhere, yes. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it, you know, part of it 
again, it's not clear because there are there is still a lot of information missing. Um, the Ukrainian list, well, what has become known as the Ukrainian list, has been has been published, and that showed another massacre. Um, I think it would be Kovina, if I pronounced that correctly. Um, but there's also a Belarusian list, which is disputed, um, which Belarus, I think, say they uh, don't have any records of, of, of any executions taking place on what is now the land of Belarus. Um, to the Poles who, the Polish government who is sure there is such a list and have asked, you know, for records. So because of this kind of, and we don't know, do we have all the Russian records? So yes, so there's a grey area around the total number, but probably around a million or just short of a million is probably a fair estimation at the moment of because my my grandfather was uh, has there's no record of his death there's, there's, and, and he was fighting in that area of uh, what is now Belarus, so and he's not on the Katyn list. Somebody on fire this wonderful Cressy Siberia site has has confirmed that he's not on those lists. So he may well be on the list on some of the lists that you describe that the Belarusian authorities still have. I think the Belarusian authorities are reasonably open about. Uh, so it's one of the my it's a continuing journey all of this isn't it you know absolutely it never ends and never will end not even in my daughter's lifetime I shouldn't have thought um, but I think there are records in um, oh gosh will it be Kiev possibly uh, uh, no um, uh, oh dear me one of the uh, one of the uh, Smolensk I think there are records there that that the Belarusians have I think but I'm not sure I'm not sure anyway but one of Henrik's uncles uh, a brother of his um, grandmother also disappeared he was also arrested because he had fought in the, the Bolshevik war too and he was arrested before the deportation sometime after the Russian invasion and has completely disappeared as well we can't find any record none of the family know he just disappeared he didn't come back um, he's not on any of the current, the known um, lists. Um, so, yeah, we, we don't know what happened to him. We kind of, you know, hopes at some point. Yes. Well, we, the, 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 it was. It, it, it is um, a fascinating, and it's a, it's a it, I think we both, you and I, and, 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 uh, and all the other descendants regard it as a matter of, Honouring the, the the memory of our ancestors, that we continue to search for their any trace of them, actually, any and any trace we find is absolutely is is, is both thrilling and uh, torturingly sad. For example, did you not tell me that? Um, I hope I've got this right, Jean. That one of Henrik's relatives, having been deported after they were released. She did not escape. Well, his paternal grandmother. Um, yeah, that's another uh, another story and a half. His paternal grandmother. Um, no, that uh, his grandparents on his dad's side and the children were all deported together. Again, to Perm Street. Although his mom and dad came from different areas of Poland, they ended up having been deported both sets to Perm, near, near Perm, Nikolinskaya Baza. And apparently, um, from what we understand, his grandmother was, uh, used to be baking bread for the, not for the Poles, obviously, um, but they used to burn some of the bread. I'm sorry if this is a bit disjointed because we haven't got all the dots joined up. So a lot of this information is, disjointed bits that we have that we're trying to piece together. So she used to bake bread and they used to burn some of them, some of the bread, because they would be rejected. And if they burnt the bread, then they would be able to keep. Um, oh, how interesting. What a fascinating little anecdote. To use it because it yeah. wouldn't, it would be just discarded. Hmm. That's part of what we understand. The total. So the Polish, the, the Polish prisoners would, would, 
uh, rescue the charred bread. That's yes, that they would they would have the charred bread to eat. If whereas if they didn't burn it, if they didn't burn any, then obviously you know food was scarce. It wasn't they had their meager rations mm. that they they got, which is another story that his mum told. Um, but yes, but his his grandmother so. So they were all in Perm until the so-called amnesty came when Germany invaded the Soviet Union. And, um, and they were told they were free to go. Um, his dad, who was now, now his dad was born in 1924. So this is 1942. So his dad was 17, 18. And he left with Henrik's grandfather to go to Buzaluk, which was one of the mustering stations for Anders army, because as part of this agreement uh, 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 that um, when, the, when Germany attacked Russia, part of the agreement was that a, Russia, uh, uh, sorry, a Polish army would, allowed, would be allowed to be raised on Russian soil to help in the fight against the Germans now. And so his dad and grandfather left to go to Buzaluk, one of the mustering stations, which left his mom, uh, sorry, Henrik's grandfather, grandmother, sorry, um, with one daughter who was about 13, another daughter who was probably eight, something like that, and a son who was also called Henrik, who was maybe about six at the time, um, so they were left behind waiting to somehow get out of the camp, the work camp that they were in. And the story goes, again, it's a bit disjointed because we hear about trains that were leaving. Henrik's mum spoke about this as well. Um, so we don't know whether this was an organised train, whether it was just a regular train that they were trying to get on. Uh, are we, we're really not clear on that. It's again something which is a bit of a mystery, but we were told there was a train and there was a railway station that they were at and the grandmother and the um, three younger children were going to get on this train and a Russian commandant of the camp stopped his grandmother. And the grandmother, uh, it turns out, was pregnant with this Russian commandant's child. Oh. Now, how that happened, we're not entirely sure whether this was something which happened for survival, a survival instinct, mm. whether it was something else untoward, whether it was re what it was, we're not really sure. But she was stopped by him from getting on the train. Now, obviously, the two younger children, I suppose you can imagine, I, I'm just building this picture in my head. I suppose there were a lot of people around um, stuck with their mum, whereas the older daughter, who was 13, 14, something like that, she actually ran away from them and got on the train. Wow. And this so she left, she left and went... Um, and went south, obviously, and ended up eventually in Persia and then in the same orphanage where Henrik's mum was. So that's how they knew each other from, from there. And his <laughs> grandmother was left in the Soviet Union with the other two children. Now, the little boy died in, in the Soviet Union. Um, the other daughter... Um, grew up there because his grandmother was there until the 1950s, I think. She gave birth to a baby girl, which interestingly enough, she gave the same name as her older daughter who had run away and got on the train. Oh, We're assuming she did that because she didn't know what had happened to the older girl. For her, she could have died, anything could have happened to her. So this, this, this child um, that was born in Russia was given the name of the same name. What can you um, remember the name? Helena. Helena, yeah. So in the 1950s, grandmother came back to Poland, I think after the Stalinist era. She came back to Poland with Helena 
the the half sister of, of Henrik's dad, who who they, who they called Lena, the diminutive of Helena, Lena, and the uh, aunt who did live and who the grandmother was reunited with eventually in the 60s in the United States because the Helena who ran away ended up in the United States. Um, they called Hella, so that was how they distinguished between. Mm. Uh, but the other daughter, who had meanwhile grown up in, in the USSR, actually married a Russian, mm. and she's still alive today, oh, and li Lord. living in Russia, and has great-grandchildren there. And um, your family are in touch with her, did you say? Henrik's in touch with her, yes. Good Lord. Yeah, they, they did find, um, and, and with the half-sister of his dad in Poland. So eventually... They did all after the war manage to find each other and uh, you know and, and reunite. So well, reunite not physically, obviously, but. Do you recall the lady's name who's who's still there? In Russia, Zofia, Zosha, is the diminutive. What a wealth of stories she's got then. Probably, yeah. This is the thing. And uh, his aunt Hella, who was in the United States, died just this year. Oh God! But she wouldn't. She wouldn't talk about it. Um, and is Lena still uh, alive? Lena is still alive. Yes, in Kyoto, but obviously she was just. She was born in nineteen forty-three. So, um, so uh, you know her memory. I don't know. I've, we've not. I've not thought to speak to her, to be honest. So, um, we're only going to touch on a, a, a bit of this, and we've been. You've given me far more time than I hoped you would, um, and I've got to go and pick up my daughter from school. So, which is lovely, but it means I've got to try and draw the thread of this conversation to an end. But I hope we will have many more, as more things come to light, and as that I want Kira to remember as much as anything else. I don't want to put too much of a burden on her, but um, as we've been saying both before and during this conversation, isn't it sad that we don't, we haven't, you know, there are so many of these tales and stories and histories that will never be, will never come to light. No. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute joy for me to know that at least you and I have you know, we've recorded something <laughs> for, 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 for later. So, but let's, let's try and, where can I, where can I end this? Um, for now, let's end this uh, in, in the following way. We, th we think that, do we not, that only a proportion, coming back to, the, to, to this notion of people being left behind and some people escaped and so on. Um, and by the by, it's worth mentioning, isn't it, how, these stories of, for example, pe some people being kept behind by the Russian guards and some people jumping on the train and, and getting out. Th these chance moments of people getting on the train, um, of course, uh, determine whether or not, you know, H Henrik's whole life will change and therefore your life and therefore this conversation, just because of these chance, thousands of chance moments of people finding a train or finding a transport or survive because these these uh these the, 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 the subsequent journeys this is where i think i want to, to to take it to finish with the subsequent journeys from you know over the over the black sea and and out into the wider world for those who were lucky enough to escape and to those, survive the journey journeys are as perilous as anything else and, and it kind of, you know, reading other stories on the Cressy site as well, where when people were on the journey to Persia, right, to, you know, to, to hopefully get out of the USSR, possibly even thinking that once they'd got away from the work camp and they were on their way south, that this was them, you know, on the way to freedom, typhus was rife. Mm. And, you know, many of them caught typhus. And there are stories where where brothers, sisters were separated because one was in hospital, another, you know, you've got to get the last, this is the last transport, what do you do? And Henrik's mom was in that situation with her younger sister who caught typhus on this journey. 
And again, you know, it's we haven't got all the threads in the bigger picture, but from what she said, the, the her sister ended up in a hospital. We don't know where, we don't know whether it was um, in a particular place en route, but she ended up in a hospital. And, and his mum said again about, she knew it was the last train, whether that was the last transport, but her words were, I knew it was the last train and we had to be on it. Um, and the doctors or medics there had said to her, you cannot take your sister, she will die. Mm. And his mom said, um, well, at least if she dies, if, if I take her and she dies, I'll know where she is. And she took her and give her a due. She by whatever means, whatever she did, however she managed, because remember, these are, a sister was something like 12 at the time, Vanda was probably, what, 14, maybe? So they were still children to all intents and purposes. She took a, a great strength of character, I think. Yes. They were on the train, and somehow um, Zosha survived. Good Lord. They both made it to Persia. And I've heard other stories where you know, that a sibling got on the train and left the other one behind and then doesn't know what happened, whether they lived, died, or what became of them, or where they are. And this so, is part you know, of it's all this kind of, I don't know what you would call it, strands of fate, of luck, of whatever, uh, you know. It, it, but like you say, it's like life or death decisions, decisions that you make, which, which are life-death decisions and influence what's what happens you know which path the rest of your life takes which is why it's it it's one of the many many reasons why it is so important that you know i pay tribute to people like you as i draw this to a close for now um because you have it's it's you and other i know you wouldn't want um to be credited with um soul contributor to the knowledge I have of my family, my birth family, but but you and others on the, through that Cressy Siberia site and the Cressy family site have brought uh, to present notice these stories of both uh, abominable treatment and, as you say, uh, almost heroic strength of character from people who, uh, as again, you beautifully described, le leading a life one minute of almost idyllic rural loveliness and tinkling streams and orchards. And then within the space of three, four years, they're fighting for their lives, yeah. surrounded by uh, complete deprivation, terrible illness, but clinging on to each other and clinging on to life so far as they can. So, and, and, and I, read, I read a book, one of the first books I read before, uh, and really all of this history, which I'm in the journey of, of, of learning, I, I didn't know anything about. In the 1990s, I had a, a friend, a Polish lady who I actually met in the Polish club, who, when I was going to learn Polish, she came to do conversation with us, Polish conversation, a really lovely, gentle lady. And at the beginning of the 1990s, she presented me with a book called Journey to England Without a Ticket by Christina, mm -hmm. who was a pseudonym for um, Pani Kavitska, who, who wrote the book. And she said to me when she gave me the book, read this, darling, it is my story. <laughs> and and I started to read it and it was just, uh, you know, uh, it was like just an unbelievable, an unbelievable journey, but it still didn't really resonate or, or you know, to, to me it was okay, it's a book, it's a story, it's, it's her story, it's interesting. But one thing that stuck with me from that book and, and maybe is a good place to end was that Pani Kavetska said, that the key to survival, she observed as a, a young teenager having been deported, the key to survival was adaptation. Mm. She noticed that those who didn't adapt 
perished. Mm. And that for some reason out of the whole book and the whole of that story, which was my first introduction to all of this, that was what stuck with me. Um, yeah, adaptation. That is, a good place. that is a good place to end because, um, although I, I, I keep saying that and not ending it because there's this, 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 what, what, what you've been uh, gracious enough to share with me um, is, you know, the tip of the tip of the tip of, a, of an iceberg, isn't it? There's so many more stories which yeah. we haven't and, touched on that, you know. Uh, well, hopefully, Jean, yeah. hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll do this again, you know, in the future and, uh, and, and uh, record because I think you know it's a little bit, uh, a little bit of social history really going on here. I think you know, and, and I think I think it's, I'm very excited by all that because it's just like it's, it's 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 I say ordinary, but I don't mean ordinary. Ordinary people like you and I, keeping these things going, and it's so it is so dramatically important. It's so dramatically important, I think. And I think social history though is also the door, the doorway <laughs> to political history and military history mm. because through mm. my interest. In, in what happened to, um, and on my mum's side, my Irish um, family who left Ireland during the potato famine. Mm. Um, and that's a whole other story. Mm. But through uh, social history is kind of the doorway to other because you learn so much, especially where Poland's concerned, I've learned so much more about the military history mm. uh, and political history as mm. well, mm. which, and which it really helps when opened it, it, it up it helps. the social history side. Absolutely, and it it, it it is critically important, isn't it, in trying to understand? And a fairly obvious thing to say, but I am I'm not capable of very profound insights. Um, it's it, it's critically important in trying to understand something of what's happening now, you know, in, with respect to Poland and and the Economic Union and uh, the European Union and so on and so on and their own politics and and their own because. Poland, oh, I, I think I will stop there because I'm about to launch into a whole new uh, uh, area. So, Jean, adaptation, that's, that's, uh, that's such a lovely little note to finish on. Um, and I wondered whether I could ask you to say some, to say, you know, uh, uh, goodbye in Polish and, uh, or, or some other Polish greeting that we can just end with. Bardzo dziękuję, Graham. Za nasze rozmawia, rozmowy. Let's help from Henrik in the background. I do widzenia. Do widzenia, Jean. Uh, dziękuję. Uh, to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to press pause now.